Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome to Pitch Tech Asia. I'm your host, Gustavo Liu. And today I'll be joined by Lorindo Garcia, who is the CEO and founder for Be Inclusive. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Welcome to the Asia Tech Podcast. I'm Gustavo Liu at the Pitch Tech Asia. And today I'm actually joined by a good friend of mine, Lorindo Garcia, who is the founder and CEO of uh, this uh, inclusive app called uh, Be Inclusive. How are you, Lorindo? Good, Gus. Hola. Hola. ¿Cómo Welcome. Muy bien, muy bien, muy bien. We are going to start speaking Spanish <laughs> no, now. No, no, no. Let's, let's not go there. You, we're going to end up facing some barriers. We're going to have a very different audience. Um, and, and Lorindo, you've had, um, I've known you for a number of years now. Yes. And you've had so many years of um, sort of advocating for inclusivity, for mm -hmm. equality. Um, and, and this is such a hot topic right now, especially in the startup world, right? It's where people are realizing. I mean, I wouldn't say it's just starting, but I think over the years, companies, um, investors have realized that by investing in or organizations that only have a specific type of silos, they are losing out. Mm. Right, and when you have more diversities, there are stats um, that go to show, and 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 it's actually a fact to say that companies are losing revenue and profitability by being exclusive to a particular group of um, of of audience, um, be it um, in terms of sexuality, age, or a or um, um, social status, um, gender, um, race, mm -hmm. disability, mm -hmm. all of that, right? Yeah. Um, and so, what does it mean to you? Because you've you've been to the UN and you've you've spoken in a lot of sort of panel discussion. Well, how how important is this subject? I mean, my skin is really in the game, literally, literally and figuratively. Uh, my journey on inclusion really started out as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I am the child of Filipino immigrants to Australia. Oh yeah. Um, and when I was young, uh, I remember being taught. That you could find uh, if you were if you are a young school kid, yep. we were all as as school kids. We were all taught that if you were uh, ever in a situation where you're facing bullies or you yep. saw a suspicious adult preying upon you, then you could look for any house or shop that had this yellow sign that said "Safety House." This and is what in Australia. In Australia, oh this, wow, that's really nice. This was a program run by the by the Child Protection Unit, at the Social Services, and the government. We didn't have that. I, I was a child that as Taiwanese, mm. um, born from Taiwan and, mm. and raised in Latin America in mm. Brazil. We did. I wish we had those type of like houses it's, where we can run to. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, from an early age, we were we were taught where you could find a, a safe place yeah. with this yellow sign. Um, and as I moved through my childhood and adulthood, I realized that finding a safe place as we got older was not as easy as it was to just look for a sign at the front. Like, for example, I was I had the unfortunate experience of being subjected to racist bullying all the way through school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I experienced that as well. But and I think it's children, right? Children. Children, they... but but even then, where could you go to find safety at, at in as a kid, in the uh, Asian kid in the yeah. 70s and 80s? Because nobody was equipped to deal with racism in, in the school. At, and they didn't age. understand. They didn't understand. So I, I was forced to think that, you know, I just had to deal with it. 
and then um, so there was no safe house for me or safe place for me when yep. I uh, was dealing with that. Then when I entered adulthood, uh, street gangs attacked me because I'm gay. Yeah. Uh, at a train station. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yet again, there was no safety place, safe place for me to go that easily. Yeah. Um, and so I just felt that I had to deal with it, and, and that was just my reality. Um, and it wasn't until many years later when I uh, ventured overseas and living in other countries where I was even more exposed to, to risk because of discrimination. Uh, and really, it, it got to its head uh, one year, 14 years ago, actually. And I started a job as a, as a reporter yep. and uh, here in Singapore. Oh, wow. And you know, I, I come from a, a, a broadcast media background. Yeah. And uh, I started this new job, and a week after the job, uh, the company doctor called me in and told me that I was HIV positive, mm. that I would be fired, uh, my visa for a work visa would be mm. denied, and I would be deported all in the same breath and told me to, to leave yeah. uh, without any pointers about where I could go to find information or, or no. legal advice or anything like that. And the support that. system, like that, that is something that, you know, where do you go and like try that's to gain information? That's right. Yeah. And, and thankfully, at that time, there was... There, there was communities uh, and well no it was more there there were online tools we did have the the benefit of google i mean it yeah. was pre facebook but we did have the world of the internet at our fingertips and this uh, what i found interesting is that you compare my my experiences as a young adult or a child where yeah. you really felt like you were isolated and i had this uh, assumption that i've got the i've got google there with me now yeah. i can find the help that i need and it was incredibly difficult to try and find which doctor i could go to without yeah. without fear of being turned into the authorities or which uh, you know legal uh, assistance well, service I think provider ever I could since go to. facebook yeah. sort of took over and like data is being sort of analyzed right prior to that there was information on the internet but it was more for practicality less about like trying to use that sort of all of that information so you still get directory of doctors but you don't get what it's you know the the background of the doctors you don't have linkedin that, where you can go back and that, see that's right but i think it, it 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 points to a deeper problem that the information that's available online yeah. for groups that are generally excluded or marginalized or at worst discriminated it does not meet the needs of those excluded groups like myself like like yeah. the like the many people like people with disabilities yeah. like uh, single parents um, like ethnic racial minorities you know when you are excluded from you know just general participation in society you're looking for different things when you're when you're trying to assess an employer or a restaurant or a uh, a, uh, a landlord or a real estate agent but people make assumptions about what type of data you're consuming online oh yeah and without actually asking or designing user experiences yeah. or or services online with the but you know, working in collaboration with the groups who are excluded. Mm. And so what this means is that if you're using any of the search platforms or the marketplace platforms, you know, let's, let's take disabilities. Mm. You go online, you, you, you look at a restaurant and you try to search if, it's, if it is uh, accessible. Yeah. It's, a, it's a yes and no question, right? right? 
oh yes, this place is Has accessible to people. <laughs> well, this place is yes accessible to people with disabilities. That's a, that's so vague, too, so vague, <laughs> right? Yeah. Whereas we know from our work with wheelchair users, yeah. with people who use walking aids and and different types of uh, disabilities, that they need very specific information to determine whether or not they will want to go to that place or not. Yeah. And, and on, the, on the infrastructure front, I mean, what, what you're addressing here is for for people with uh, physical disability mm. and some mental disability to a certain degree, they will want to look for places that it's, um, it's it's convenient and it's easy for them to get there. Otherwise, everything is ruins the whole sort of experience. And it's uh, that entire sort of, it's a little bit easier because it's on your infrastructure, right? So modifying infrastructure, but then Let's look at the other side of the equation where it's less about the infrastructure, it's about the education of the people that is working for you as an organization. What type of environment are you creating with the people that you bring on board? So you've got the physical space, but then you've got the people space that are that are creating that that, that experience. Exactly. And and I, and based on the stories that we've heard from people at the grassroots, yeah. the physical accessibility side of things is actually the easy bit. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, a person with disabilities, a, a wheelchair user going to a bank or a single mother going to a real estate agent yeah. or even a transgender person looking for a job will not will can get into yeah. the door. Absolutely. But the person but the the thing that makes them feel excluded is human contact. Well, it, not even a job. Like a job is more like, it, it, that is super important, but at the same time, as a consumer, mm. you want to be um, frequenting um, certain merchants and, and you want your patrons to really, you know, be on sync. And if you're going there, if, like you mentioned, as a single mother mm. carrying a baby, mm. right? Um, going to a bank, for instance, or if you have a, um, a transgender going into um, a, a, any sort of stores and if they are treated differently, that in itself is just a form of exclusion that people don't realize. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, whether it is uh, being uh, treated with respect yeah. um, or having the services or the products that actually serve 100% of your needs. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are two simple things that are seem logical from a business owner's perspective, but for what I've sound in actual practice, in actual it's practice, it's not. I mean, there is this great uh, piece of uh, research done by Deloitte in Australia mm. that was released last year, and what they found is that thirty to fifty percent of diverse consumers, and you, personally, I hate that word because it's just too vague. But basically, yeah. what after they surveyed people with disabilities, LGBT, racial, ethnic minorities, which uh, I kind of I don't like the word exclusion as well to uh, categorize all of these because uh, it's not they are no minorities. If you lump them all together, like what are the chances of finding a straight, healthy, um, you know, like a, a particular race in that particular country? As a whole, they are not that much of a majority compared to if you try to group all of those together. True, true. But at the same time, we do need to acknowledge that exclusion exists. And Absolutely, yeah. Discrimination exists. So, so back to my point, what, what Deloitte found mm. was that when you look across disabilities, age, race, gender identity, sexual orientation, and gender, that uh, 30 to 50% of uh, consumers in these groups feel that they are underserved. By uh, yeah. by the by uh, the retail space, by the business services space, and so on, and of that, twenty to thirty percent end up just uh, 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 
just abandoning a purchase yeah. as a result of not feeling like their it's needs so are real. served. It's so real. It's very real. And that's a that's huge untapped potential that businesses are just uh, ignoring because yeah. they're, they're not really looking deeply at, at their different customer experiences. Most of the time, businesses assume that their regular consumer feedback channels are sufficient. Or their surveys and... <laughs> but, but again, when you're coming from the perspective of an, an excluded group like that I come from, you're, you're coming from a place where you feel that society is not listening to you. Yeah. And so uh, even if I, like myself, have gone to a service provider and they've basically told me that, you know, you can't, uh, we're not going to provide services to you because you're HIV positive, then I'm given the environment and, and the stigma and discrimination around HIV, I don't feel like I, it's worthwhile me giving feedback saying, hey, you know, that's not on because I just don't think that they're going to listen to me. Also, instead of being, when you're ignorant, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of being empathetic and understanding the situation or at least put yourself in the other because it's ultimately you're talking to a human being, yes. right? Regardless of what their background is, what, what issues they have. I mean, everybody have issues, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, the main thing is, are you, uh, what, where are you coming from? And are you really providing the best of service, doing the best for your organization as a business and creating as much opportunity to create growth, mm. a safe environment and a profitable environment for people that have invested in you? And we, investors, I'm not just talking about people that have given you money, but people that have your shareholders, for mm -hmm. instance, right? If you're working in a bank or if you work in a legal firm, your partners, your bosses, all of these, they don't necessarily have to fall under that category, but they are people that believe that you provide the best of service to make sure that you bring in that business into, uh, into the door. Mm -hmm. So being exclusive and, and being discriminatory towards any group whatsoever, you are already putting barriers to, to, that, um, to, to that target. Exactly, exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about why you've taken all of those um, experiences in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and you could say they, some, uh, a large, some of them were negative. There were some that were positive, maybe mixed. How did you make it stronger? How, what did you do with it? In terms of my, my experience in the past? Yes. So, so um, it would be easy just for me to go on with life feeling like I was a victim. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a bit more hard-headed than that. And, yeah. I, and I was really fascinated with this idea of trying to solve it. Yeah. And as a result of that, I've devoted the last 10 years trying to research how social media, mobile apps can combat the problem of discrimination. Um, and I'm a technologist. Yeah. Uh, I've been a programmer uh, in, in the past for uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and, and, and building things out of uh, out of nothing. Yeah. And so I really felt that this was this was a, a material and platform that I, I felt very comfortable in, yeah. and I was and you know I was committed to to trying to solve it. And so I first of all started looking what how social media and apps could help people like myself, mm -hmm. uh, people living with HIV, LGBT people as well, and doing research there and working out, you know, trying to look, I mean, to make it more concrete, how can people uh, access basic health services when discrimination gets in the way? Yeah. Well, you're trying lots of different things from building um, online counseling services, uh, con content marketing solutions, uh, uh, educational portals, all of these things, just testing, prototyping, seeing what worked, what didn't work. Uh, to try and solve that problem. Yep. 
And unfortunately, lots of things did not work. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they didn't get the level of impact that we were looking for, which and we were just. Well, but it worked in the sense that it brought, it got you to filter out um, the ones that you know, and go. I always think that for every time you identify something that does not work, mm -hmm. it gets you that one step closer to what it actually it's supposed to work. Absolutely. So you know. I, I, I saw those as, as great and valuable learning experiences and it helped propel us keep on moving forward, which is a very different mindset in the non-for-profit space. Yeah. I really uh, took inspiration from startups and, and, and tech to really help us keep, a, uh, keep our morale going yeah. when we were seeing, when we were not getting the traction that we were looking for, but all the time we were learning. Mm -hmm. um, and then we finally arrived at a at a idea where we would have an online concierge, okay, to help uh, young lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people find health services that were inclusive to their needs. Okay, and this was in 2015. And um, again, it, we didn't get the traction that we were looking for, but mm -hmm. uh, we had great uh, uh, roots in the community and grassroots the groups. Support so, system. So, so we were able to, uh, when we were doing our routine evaluation at the end of each of these experiments, we could get some good quality feedback from the community. And the, the one piece of feedback that I got from an uh, Indonesian interviewee that I'll never forget, and what this person said was that, um, what you're doing is great, because ours was focused specifically on uh, sexual health, uh, reproductive health, and access to to um, to, to services. Um, what this young person said was that what you're doing is great, but ultimately, because you're just talking about health, you're just reminding me of your my problems. Okay. Um, and I'm a young person. I'm not really thinking about health these days. I'm which is a which is a truth, by the way, because a lot of the healthcare providers and apps and technology that's coming out is sort of reminding you of what is wrong with you, or or like trying to point out something that could go wrong with you, but instead of looking at it f from a more positive sort of light, right? Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, um, what do they call that? It's, um, it's, it's, there's a term for that that, that the, a lot of the NGO use. Mm -hmm. um, it's something like to do with like tear porn or like um, sympathy porn. Right. Um, as, yeah, sympathy porn, that was mm -hmm. a, a term. Um, and essentially, they, they sort of shifted their focus now at looking what could be more pos a, a positive message. That's right, that's right. So th what this interviewee told us was that, you know, what I'm interested in right now, what's important to me are trying to find places where I can hang out with my friends and not, feel, and not be harassed or find ways where I can finish my studies and do so and be myself, or ultimately find a career at a company where I feel like I'm welcome. Yeah. And so we, we parsed all of that together and thought, okay, that's interesting. That definitely was a catalyst for us to shift our mindset and not just focus on just one area, but actually broaden it and be more responsive to people's needs. But then we thought, okay, if we're going to move the needle and go in that direction, which is huge, we're talking yeah. about different verticals, all different categories, different, all yeah. of these other things, then is it only LGBT yeah. that are experiencing this, this, this problem, this pain point of trying to know where to socialize, where to finish their education, and where to find jobs? And so we started doing work with, we expanded our remit. 
we started working with uh, minority women, we started working with people with disabilities, we started working with uh, other ethnic racial minorities yep. as well. And we started seeing a pattern. Yep. And uh, that was where uh, we then thought, okay, let's look at building a, a app that uh, can help multiple groups find inclusive places. And we started that process in 2016. Yeah, mm. and, and that was essentially where you came up with the problem statement for being inclusive. Yes, yeah. I mean, our, our mission is to make the world a more inclusive place. Uh, and, and at that time, we thought we would do that by helping people guide to guide. Uh, navigate and find inclusive places yeah. and encourage the businesses to try and tap this market of people looking for inclusive places and really do that directly uh, to the consumers. And you uh, knew that that wouldn't work if you were to do it in a human capacity, right? You, you needed to somehow use technology to elevate this entire sort of outreach and aggregate all of the data to be able to provide a very good sort of insight on for the consumer on where where they, sh they could use the technology. Absolutely, yeah. because because we're talking to groups who are quite fragmented, they're disparate. Um, it, we're talking about things that are highly socially stigmatized, so people trust in their mobile devices oh, yeah. to try and find this information and do so in private. And so that's that really uh, that really guided our mobile strategy in 20, 2015, 2016 to the beginning of 2017. Um, and so we were really just focused 100% on uh, building that app, making yeah. it as as useful and as uh, delightful as possible for the users. We created a brand that was not about discrimination per se, but really trying to create a, a, a vibrant energy yeah, yeah. that made people feel welcome, that they could find all of the things that they're looking for with this mobile app. And the great thing is, is that uh, when we piloted it in, yeah. in Singapore at the end of, of last year, um, we got great results in terms of how we're tested with, yeah. with um, small user groups. And the market size is huge. I mean, like if by doing a sort of a limit test to see how the outcome is going to be, um, you have across the world. There's just very across all of the different um, groups. I do kind of wanted to add one more group, which is the um, ex-convicts, mm -hmm. uh, people that have, have gone to jail. They're oftentimes also criminalized, uh, sort of stigmatized, and and uh, because sometimes, especially in the early couple of months, where they have to wear track tracking devices, and that is just open for the public when they're trying to be going out there and just make a living and find a job. Mm -hmm. Um, and same thing goes for all the, the other group, every, sing, every single one of those groups that you listed on your deck. Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing is that now that we've gone through this hard work of trying to find patterns, trying to find a common platform where the individual needs of a person, whether it's in relation to gender, race, disabilities, or perhaps social status, social status past experiences as well, um, we've got a, a flexible framework where we can add different things and people can customize their experience depending on what they need. Yeah. Um, so the, that, that prototype app performed really well. Every time we presented it to community groups, they loved it. And I took it to uh, Silicon Valley in New York uh, at the beginning of this year yeah. to see if we could raise fundings. And that's kind of when things didn't go as expected for me. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about your challenges. What happened there? Because this is really good insights for a lot of people that think that it's easy. Oh, man. oh my God, America, you know, it's like the place where you want to be to do a startup. Actually, it's not really <laughs> that that easy to raise funds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I showed up in the, in the States with a product, uh, indicative traction, mm. uh, domain experience, 
you know, deep roots in the community, even the United States. And we thought that that would be enough to convince uh, angel investors to to uh, to to really give us the support that we need to take it forward. And what the angel investors told us, both on the East Coast and the West Coast, was that great idea. We, and we love that you're tackling a big social problem. You know, that's really what we're encouraging uh, startup founders to do. But you haven't shown us how it would make a good business. Yeah. You've shown us how it could make a great movement, mm-hmm. uh, but you haven't convinced us how this is. This could be anything more than a non-for-profit. Well, you uh, have to be joint. profitable first before you can be charitable, right? Exactly, and I guess that was my uh, that was the risk that I took in going that early yeah. to to present to angels uh, with a commercial venture, uh, because although we did present a business model, it was. It was really dependent on us getting the traction that we needed yeah. with the app and the big numbers and the critical mass. And it was a marketplace of, of all things. And that's also difficult uh, in terms of who do you onboard first, the businesses and the or the consumers, who are you monetizing and all those things. Yeah. So there was a, a lot of assumptions. Um, and what became clear to me was that for a B2C mobile app model, trying to tackle a huge uh, issue like, like what we were tackling, we would be in direct competition with some of the big tech companies. And investors were skeptical uh, to invest in us because they saw we would just be hungry for marketing dollars and, and trying to trying to compete with, with, the, with the big names. And that didn't really seem to be uh, you know, cost-effective or uh, a attractive uh, investment opportunity at this stage in the game. So you had to actually grind through the process, and after you've actually created your product, you had to now figure out what the business model is that's and the right. monetization strategy. That's right. That's which right. can now the version that we're looking at your deck right mm. now is the essentially what you will you've you've spent months and months and months um, yep. working on, and and taken a lot to get to this stage. Yeah. Yep. It? Yep. It's actually this is the result of the last eight weeks. So okay. Yeah. Been a, a, a lot of sleep since then, and I have to thank. Uh, encouragement from the Hungry Lab, thank you, as well as uh, Singtel Future Makers, who combined just kicked me up the butt to try and see how we could. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you were incubated by the by Singtel Innovate, right? That's right. Yeah. We 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 never thought that uh, Singtel Future Makers as Future Maker. Yeah, okay, so yeah. and they were they were like the guys that were on the, very much on the social entrepreneurship, the the the, the startups in the, this that's space. That's right. That's right. I mean, we were concerned that they would not see value in something that approached inclusion holistically. Um, but what we were thrilled to find out was that they saw that we were aligned with our core values okay. at Singtel. So uh, as a result of that and, and also um, other mentorship that we got, we were able to turn things around in, in eight weeks um, to switch from a B2C mobile app business model to a B2B2C uh Training, business training, and, and certification ecosystem model. Mm. Well, I would say they get it, right? Yeah. They get it because they are in the telecom business and in the communication business, and the, as a whole, as a as a as a organization, they understand what it is like to be stay to stay connected and to be able to communicate with with people. It's just the basic necessities of 
of a human, right? Yes. And and to see, to look at um, being inclusive um, techno as an app, but also as a mission mm -hmm. for them is, is very much in line in terms of that communication and that um, sort of awareness that they, they also want to be part of. Mm -hmm. Businesses, I think, over the years have moved beyond just looking at profitability. Telcos are probably one of the most profitable businesses that the government do want to own. Um, and we've got many telcos across Asia. Singtel is probably one of the biggest, mm -hmm. um, if not the biggest mm -hmm. and, and the most, the richest of all the other telcos. I think you definitely, um, there were a lot of resources that, that they've, I'm sure they've been able to provide to you and give you a lot of uh, sort of guidance in this area. But they're also facing a lot of disruption. Oh, yeah. uh, they're, they, you know, the, the, the ways of doing business normally for telco have changed significantly oh, yeah. from the past. So they know that they have to innovate. They know yeah. that they need to think differently about how they do business, um, which makes a natural partner for them to be um, working with startups and particularly social enterprises as well. And I think they also see how diversifying your customer base, diversifying your workplace mm -hmm. or your workforce also are things that contribute to in, ultimately to innovation in your product, in your service, uh, and ultimately in your bottom line. And that is essentially the difference between investing as an organization. If I was, let's say, I, I'm not Singtel's CEO, but if I was Singtel CEO and I was looking at, you know, with profitability, mm -hmm. which is very, very important, and customer acquisition, all of that. But how much investment in my own company from my shareholders' money do I have to put in terms of acquiring sales staff, like management, getting all of the sort of acquisition and, and the service staff so that you provide that seamless experience which Intel does provide. But at the same time, could I invest a, uh, just a small portion of that money into a fraction of that amount into a, a startup that is solving for real problems in the world, right? That mm -hmm. is, has a real impact that will create change and essentially, I could see return today, return from my investments. I don't have to wait for 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 returns to show up in dollar sign because the mere fact of investing into a social um, that or with a, a company with a social mission is it's already a, a message that shows to my customers that I care about all of these different spaces. That's right, and and I think that. The case has been made, the, you know, we have a clear example of how businesses must not only look at profitability, but sustainability. Absolutely. And therefore, you know, sustainability is a key KPI for many investors when they're looking at companies. And increasingly so, understanding about, you know, social inclusion yeah. and those other factors. Um, all of these things are, in the, you know, taken into consideration from investment, from shareholders, uh, in addition to profitability. And I think that that holistic viewpoint is is great. And it's, what, it's essentially what you said about moving that needle, right? The big organizations to move that needle takes a lot of um, red tapes, a lot of compliance departments, clearance, upper management clearance. As an investment, let the startups solve that problem, mm -hmm. support them from an organizational point of view, and you already involved in that aspect, open doors for them to get some form of guidance. There's a lot of valuable insights, um, data, um, expertise mm -hmm. that the startups could really use, not because the startup founders don't bring that area of expertise, but fundamentally be able to knock on doors and you know the difference between knocking on door and versus having an introduction, it saves you so much time. That's right, that's right. I mean, it's it's investment in R&D as, as, as much as it's an investment in, in uh, getting better performance on your KPIs. And being inclusive right now, it's uh, it's already deployed in the market. 
Um, it's a, you can download it, right? It's, it's so the, the app is still there. Okay. Um, but as I said, we've, we've pivoted, pivoted's the wrong word, but I guess retooled our business model uh, to be business facing at this you stage. You enhanced it. Th that's right. So we've enhanced it. So, so uh, where our main focus right now is working with the businesses to help them improve their uh, inclusivity, or, or so improve the way that they provide services to diverse groups, normally Both on the infrastructure, groups, from the infrastructure to uh, product and services, and the, right? The people, yeah. Or workplaces, yeah. right? And through that process, we then gather that data. So that is where you were talking about the certifications. That's and, right, yeah. that's right. So it's a, it's a uh, B to B to C business training and certification yep. ecosystem. We get businesses assessed and uh, provide training. Uh, and then uh, uh, we deploy our agents uh, to verify their progress. And as a company improves their inclusivity, their ranking in our database improves. Yep. And then we su supply our data to a network of community partners that includes yep. the Disabled Persons Association, AWARE, the women's group here in Singapore, yep. Pink Dot, and other partners. Yep. Uh, and we're also in talks with uh, some of the tech platforms where people are already doing their searches or, or purchases to supply uh, inclusivity data to them so the tech platforms can build uh, features on inclusive data and you've also started sort of slowly talking about some of the banks and some of the larger organizations that's right where they that's go. right that's yeah. right mm. um i know singtel's connections with all of those other telco companies mm -hmm. uh, and branches so um you talk about we mm. uh, could you give us a little bit of insights on who are we in mm -hmm. in in be inclusive sure so uh, i'm definitely not doing this by myself yeah. um my head of engagement uh simin uh, she is an expert in consumer behaviors of uh, minorities and other excluded groups here in Asia. Yeah. Uh, and then we also join me on the team. Uh, are We have uh, corporate trainers and curriculum de design, yeah. uh, designers. Obviously, the content is so important. That's uh, right. The assessment, right. The, all of that is so important. Uh, absolutely. So uh, these people, um, Jack... Uh, Rayanne, uh, Brandon, Brandon Fernandez have have worked with a number of global brands. Such a diverse group of uh, people. That's right, and and also what you don't see in in that slide is also the, our advisors as well, who also come from their alumni of of uh, J P Morgan, uh, sorry Morgan Stanley, Opera, mm -hmm. the Internet Browser, um, uh, uh, Sun Life Insurance, giving us expertise, knowledge uh, on the business side, on uh, UX research as well as UX design as well, yeah. and so. What has happened is my diverse team has been hired by uh, global brands and also partners like the, the UN, USAID, Levi yep. Strauss Foundation to promote inclusion, not only at corporations, but in some of the world's most hostile environments. Yeah. And uh, we've we've taken what we've learned from that and also everybody's own personal experiences and uh, put that into the DNA of what we're doing now. And we've been getting early recognition for our efforts. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they are in different parts of the world, you, you can cover a very wide array one once you are ready to go and deploy into other markets. So you're using Singapore as the first sort of testing. Ground. That's right. That's right. Our number one focus right now is on Singapore. We're targeting um, uh, multinationals in the country who care. Yeah. Uh, and then from that, we believe once we, we, we nail that over the next six months, we believe the next point uh, would be uh, Hong Kong and uh, then Thailand, uh, Australia, Australia, Hong yeah. Kong, Thailand, really looking at the main 
uh, financial centers, but also the the centers for foreign investment in the region yeah. uh, as our entry point to greater Asia. Yeah. We, you know, if we're going to scale up fast, where we're going to get that volume, I mean, ultimately, we believe that it will be uh, s small, medium enterprises yeah. across the region that will drive our growth. But in order to get that, we need to improve our ability to be able to uh, help those big volume of, of clients succeed. So we've got some pretty important lessons. Of and as, you, as yeah. you're scaling across different parts of the world and Singapore and all of that, mm. um, obviously, you, is inherently you face competition, mm. right? That's right. And you have a slide here with all of the sort of different groups that I don't necessarily agree they are fully your competitors they could be collaborators a, a lot of them are actually more like your that's why you wrote market players right mm -hmm. um how you essentially going to be collaborating in mm -hmm. the future mm -hmm. could you talk us a little bit through the sort of the, the, the space the landscape yep mm -hmm. so if we're looking at a quadrant and then on the left on the uh, left hand side we've got players in the uh, business training and certification space yeah. and on the right hand side we've got players in the consumer advisory space right yeah. so uh, helping people get a better understanding on their on their decisions yeah. so in our vicinity we have a online uh, a training platform linda that yeah. famously was acquired by linkedin for over one billion dollars yeah. um, and also trustpilot which is a consumer uh, review yeah. reputation um, solution yeah. uh, that recently closed a series d round for 73 million dollars so um, we see all of these as players, potential collaborators for sure. Um, I see a lot of col collaboration there because, um, I mean, you talked about LinkedIn, you talk about Linda, mm -hmm. um, you've got WeWork, some mm -hmm. of the co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. They, a lot of them have been on a, in a movement to want to um, address um, diversity and inclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, WeWork, for instance, has this thing called She Leads, mm -hmm. where it's about female leadership, it's about women um, that, need to, that are empowered um, to speak out and, and lead teams to in the startup community, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You've got um, other organizations that are doing various different things. Right. And I think the fact that you guys are a tech platform, mm -hmm. um, a lot of them aren't really doing sort of tech uh, related, they, uh, there's a few that are doing tech, but they're not um, sort of connecting the pu the public and and the, the the business owners in from a mindset of profitability. A yep. lot of them come from like social entrepreneurship only. That's right, right, right. Which which needs to be acknowledged. I mean, that's incredibly valuable, is, yeah. uh, particularly the reputational side of things in terms of reputational value, showing yourself as an inclusive uh, business to the outside world, um, to the marketing advantages there. But what we're interested in is to take that conversation further and, and demonstrate how that can impact on your sales, your bottom line, ultimately, because that's the last mile. Oh, yeah. If you can show how all of that investment in, can turn in, into, yeah. in, in workplaces, in marketing, in reputation, actually results in, in, in greater sales, in, in more resilient uh, products and services that, that help a company navigate all of the uncertainty that, that you know. And that, that resiliency, if you can't make revenue, mm. right, it's, it's you forever be raising, mm. you forever be depending, mm. and which is I mean, we've shown that NGO, the old traditional NGO model have worked up to a certain extent, but now it's about empowering whatever type of um, social, social entrepreneurship you're working on. It's not just about um, trying to get money from governments or from, from no. institutions and, and like, you know, give it to, to 
people in need. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it's to use that and, and teach them and, and empower them with knowledge and expertise so that they will be able to build something and become resilient, like what you said, and um, be able to earn revenue. Even though you can't make money, mm-hmm. you can st- if you can't raise money for investors, you can still make money out of your what, you, what you've built. That's right. That's right. I mean, all of the community partners that we've uh, that we've partnered with, they all have something, some, some value that they've created that they have to offer businesses, whether it's through training, whether it's consultancy, whether it's some other form of uh, IP um, yeah. that they have created from the grassroots. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, th- the, our community partners are having uh, problems trying to do outreach. Yeah. We provide them that platform to be able to bring their value to the business owners. And at the same time, the businesses have a bandwidth problem trying to manage all of that complexity in the in a fragmented inclusion space and, and try to align that with their bottom line. We're trying to be that intermediary to, to make that much more simple. Beyond intermediary, you also you need, you are educating them mm. on what is they're missing out and what are the opportunities that are out there that they could tap on, yeah. right? And essentially, you're creating the platform for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you at what at what stage are you right now? Are you raising? Are you hiring? What is, what is the current situation? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm doing both. Yeah, you're hiring um, and raising. Yes, yeah? yeah. I mean, my number one goal right now is getting our first customer on the on the corporate side, on the business side. And okay, we're in, we're in talks with a, a number, but I'll, I'll be frank. You know, we're we're understanding that it takes some time for the bigger corporations to make a decision, and and that's fine. We we really need to navigate our way through that. So well, you're going or you're going towards the big guys and the small guys, as well, right? The the medium size. At the big at this stage, it's the it's the it's the big uh, corporations. Yeah. It's not that we want to ignore the SMEs. We see them in a pipeline, but we also know they require um, that's a huge volume that we're that it's frankly, the cost and the cha- and and the and the time that they they the, might not have. That that's right. So we need to provide them a different uh, set of services and, and products that we've we've actually designed. It's our ability to roll it out at volume. Once we get, we, last year when we did uh, our pilot of the app, when we're still 100% focused on the app, we grew from 20 businesses who wanted to be enrolled in our in our app database to a thousand in in three months and. Um, and that's a great outcome. That was yeah, a great course, problem yeah. for us to have. But we also realized managing that if, is a, if yeah. we want to make that meaningful yeah. for the for the small medium enterprises who wanted to sign up, then we you know it, it's our in order for us to maintain integrity, we need to give, give them something that is of clear value. So now that we've we've uh, retooled ourselves to for the business training and certification scheme, we've have in our minds that ultimately this is going to be driven by SMEs. Yep. But at this stage, in order just to help us iron things out and to give us what the resources more leeway need. as well um, we're focusing on the on the multinationals also i think the large organizations will have, be a little bit more forgiving if they're just to, to see how to better improve the technology and uh, how to better sort of um, give you information because they they have a large crowd of um, employees a large large crowd of customers base and they will be able to sort of collaborate in the sense of 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 assisting to build up the actual platform. That's right, and and most many of the multinationals, especially the ones that are operating in Singapore and elsewhere in the region, are the ones who care about inclusion. Oh yeah. Um, for them, the problem is because it's a reputational damage. Right? Yeah, so, and yeah. and for for them, the the issue is that they've got this 
global mandate from headquarters that they are an inclusive business, but they have yet to really put that into action in the, in the region, and that's what we're trying to help them to do. But if we do that well, then we know that those multinational clients will lead us to SMEs through their supply chain, through oh, their yeah. ecosystem as well. So we feel that this is a really good first step. The portfolio that you're building it of, of, of paying customers, that is that is you're picking your, your, your fights. That's right, that's yeah. right, that's right, because Based on what I learned from pitching to the angel investors, really at the end of the day, our, our life will be made much easier if we can demonstrate how we've got our, our, our customers in a recurring way. And so that's my number one focus. So you're raising your your C round? C round. C round yeah. at the moment, mm -hmm. how much are you raising? 360,000 US dollars. 360,000, and that is in US dollars? Yes. And what would that? Where would that take you? So forty percent of that raise is uh, for the for bringing in our key hires. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're we're doing it. Um, I'm basically working, uh, yeah. not being with the, the group. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right now, so everybody's just, just putting in their skin in the game and trying to keep costs uh, incredibly low. Bootstrapping. Yeah, that is bootstrapping. A, that's the way we bootstrap <laughs> our early months as well. So uh, roughly forty percent of the the seed capital will go towards that, and then uh, twenty percent for uh, building out our uh, revenue features. Of our of our product of our certification and training product, and then in another twenty percent uh, for our uh, client acquisition activities yeah. and marketing, and then the remainder for the tax and other uh, overheads. Can I just say, like, I'm I am so proud of you, Lorindo. Like, I remember when we met back in was it May um, this year, and you were like, "Oh my god, my run rate! I'm gonna I'm gonna have to close down in a month's time." Yeah. And you've come such a long way. And now not only are you not um, strapping for cash, but you also manage your finance so well mm. that you are already ready to hire, right? Mm. You're, mm -hmm. you're looking for, yep. for people who are able to join you yes. and be able to do that. And there's obviously a lot of that credit to the Singtel mm. uh, future makers because of the, of the, of the period that they've, they, and the resources that they've also um, provided you with. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of positions are you looking to hire? Um, at this stage, the key one would be on the business marketing side. Okay. Um, that's definitely one area where I can't claim to know everything in the world. Um, and that would be my first key hire right now. And is that more like uh, one of the co-found, like early, early it, enough, like yeah, sort of equity holders? Yes, definitely. U ultimately, I want to hire a person who is is wants to stay with us in the long run. And, the and I am offering a, a co-founder role. Um, then after that, it would be uh, head of engineering as well. I mean, I can hold the ship for now. Yeah. Um, but if we really want to get that scalable model of, of product that really brings in high volume SMEs, then I need somebody who's beyond the skill set that I've already got. But yeah. um, that's what it's looking like. And you've been you've been out there in the public and the, with the community, mm -hmm. um, day in day day out, and yeah. essentially it's about you've been connecting with with the people, right? Mm -hmm. So that that essentially will having somebody to work together with you will amplify that Absolutely. much faster. Siming has also been very active in this space. Incredible. You guys have been hosting events and all of that. That's right, that's right. And we've been uh, trying and, you know, prototyping different types of events, how they could help us with our not only increased visibility, but also how, how can that help us, you know, uh, gain access to potential clients. We've got another event coming up in the beginning of December as well, where we're going to, you know, roll out our prototype training um, uh, a learning experience as well. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's nonstop. So what is next? I mean, you've got the race mm -hmm. happening. You you got say you've got the people. What is next? Um, where what how can we look forward to for being inclusive? Um, so as I said, 
focusing 100% on our clients, you know, acquiring clients, servicing them and seeing them be successful. Getting more sort of businesses um, more um, in line with the that's, mission. And that's the right. So we, so what that looks like is, is one of two things or, or perhaps it's a combination of both. Either a, a company comes to us looking at how they want to improve the inclusivity of their um, of their workforce, yep. which is, you know, admittedly, it's it's uh, it is that's that's not new. That's not uh, that's not something new. But there's definitely a lot of companies wanting to look at diversifying the workforce. So that's number one. We want to see how we can add value to that through our training and certification scheme. Um, but secondly, I think that's much more exciting. At least it's something that I yeah. I get I get a thrill out of thinking is how we can help companies who are perhaps already moving the needle on the workplace inclusion yeah. and wanting to put that diversified workforce into action in in diversifying their 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 customer base yeah. whether it's through products or services really take that insight that can only have been drawn from a diversified workforce yeah. and start putting it into enhancing existing products creating new product or service opportunities and then bringing that to market as well to dispel a little bit of myth mm -hmm. and and I I personally feel because I've worked with a lot of startups across different parts of the world. Do you think that Singapore is harder compared to, you know, to drive this inclusivity message to business owners as compared to other parts of the world? Um, I would say that there is some things in the environment, particularly in relation to the our, our, our ability to talk broadly about inclusion yeah. is is made difficult by um, certain laws, yeah. um, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but I've also seen that there is a lot of innovation and creativity in yeah. how companies address that 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 reality of the local environment here. But from you, like going out, besides, I mean, not not sort of meddling into because that's a whole different like yeah. subject um, in terms of the law, but like in terms of the understanding of business owners mm. to in the space of creating a inclusive environment is equivalent to being a more profitable business. Mm. Do you think they understand that? Because you talk to businesses all the time. Mm. What What is your general feel? So, so my feel is that more often than not, most businesses want to be inclusive. They feel that they are inclusive. Yeah. And, they, and they have a broad, and they see that broadly. Do they understand? Do uh, you mean they feel? Because is, is that, are we talking about denial or are we talking about like ignorance or just like not being educated? No, 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 no. They, they, they understand the social importance of okay. being inclusive. Yeah. They also understand, you know, in theory that the, a diverse workplace, a diverse business is also good for their bottom line. They understand the, the logic of it, yeah. right? What is lacking is they don't know how to implement. Yeah, yeah. that's my perception as well. Like yeah. they, they, they don't know how to put things together and, and what angle and should I go that direction. That, that's right. That's yeah. right. And so that's where we come in. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to give, we're trying to show them that it is much easier than they think. Yeah. Um, we're trying to show them that what we're talking about here is not a, a thing about making making business owners be ashamed of what their what their weaknesses are, but really showing them the opportunity once you get the data, yeah. once you get the insight from people at the grassroots, that there's lots of things that you can do. Absolutely. Um, and it's not just about physical accessibility. That's yeah. just one step in, in, a, in a long journey. There's, you know, by doing business with these, with 
people with disabilities by doing business with LGBT, with women as well, as opposed to just seeing um, as a service like this is for you, yeah, or as a charity case only. Yeah. I mean, let's do business with these marginalized groups because what you will find is that there's there's great ideas, there's these different perspectives can give you shed light, and on, there's real pain uh, that's worthwhile being solved. That's and right. So startups that are solving this space are definitely tapping on a real issue that mm -hmm. is that is inherent in the world mm. um, and it's sort of underlooked for a very long time. Mm. So I could talk about this whole day because, yeah. I mean, we, talk, we could go everything from... Uh, if we go further, we could go, uh, include politics, we could talk about finance, talk about economics, um, bring in, like, culture and, you know, people mentality, behavioral change. Um, and we've had a lot of this type of conversation. Um, but unfortunately, we are sort of coming at, uh, towards the end of the show. And I have just one more question, which is if um, with the race and the hiring, if our audience want to um, reach out to you, how can they um, get you? Right. Um, they can find me one fast ways on LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of LinkedIn these days. Yeah. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Yep. Well. Yeah. Yep. I've See you on LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> Always posting stuff. <laughs> uh, alternatively, on uh, through our website, uh, so that's uh, www.be-inclusive.com. Awesome. And um, that concludes our recording for today. This is Pitch Deck Asia. I'm your host for the day, um, Gustavo Liu. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Lorinda, for being in the show. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.